0: Let's read our text one more time, Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been given to us. After the sermon, we'll respond to the proclamation of the gospel of salvation by singing together hymn 71, stanzas one and two. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as was mentioned right before the, the reading of Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, in the first few chapters of Romans, Paul spells out exactly what it means to be saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ, that our salvation, our, our well-being, our status before God doesn't depend on, on how well we can keep the law, but all of this is received by God as a, as a free gift of grace through Jesus Christ. These gifts are received through faith. And at the end of here, in the, at the end of Romans 4, right before our passage, we have this example of the father of all believers, Abraham, as the one who believed all of these wonderful promises that God had so graciously given, Abraham is the one who, by faith, because he believed the promises of God, he was justified. In in chapter 4 there, we read that Abraham fully believed all of the things that that God said that he was willing and able to do, all of these things that he had promised. He was received by God as somebody who was was justified, who who was cleansed, from sin, and he was received as righteous and holy, and that's through that, that act of believing, or through that, that heart of believing uh, the things that were promised, the, through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are called here to display that same faith that Abraham displayed. He's called the father of all believers because we have the same faith as Abraham. We are justified in precisely the same way. It will be counted to us who believe in Him and raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This message This message of salvation and hope is for anyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Do you believe in God who raised Jesus from the dead? This Jesus who was crucified for your sins. This Jesus who was raised for your righteousness and life. Yes, we believe. Yes, we believe. This is our faith by which we are justified before God. And because of that, because of that, Now we are able to realize and experience these great blessings that are conferred on those who belong to Christ. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord. Yes, indeed, you do. Therefore, you have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. That's chapter 5, verse 1, and now we can really rejoice in His blessings. God's peace brings us delightful blessings that are not only for at some point in the future, but these are blessings for us already today, right now. In this passage, Romans 5, the first five verses here, the Apostle Paul is describing the the state of heart that we have when we have peace with God. It's a state of joy. Or even more fully worked out, it's not merely a, a state of heart, but this is the activity, this is the daily activity of the heart. We read there in verse 5, verse 2, through Jesus Christ, we have obtained access into this grace in which we now stand, right? So, so through the work of Jesus Christ, we have been brought back into this incredible privileged status. We've been brought back into a relationship of of intimacy, closeness, love with God, the state of peace with God, and we rejoice, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's chapter 5, verse 2. So, the Word of God says, the Word of God assures us that if we belong to God, if, if we belong to Christ, if we have peace with God, If indeed your sins have been taken away and your guilt and your shame is gone and you are righteous before God and you are brought into this very loving and gracious fellowship with God, then the reality is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That is what we do. We have as a constant fixture in our minds and in our hearts This great and blessed future that has been promised, right? Just as Abraham believed in all of the things that God has had promised, he had the utmost confidence that God would bring these things to pass. In the same way, we have in our hearts and in our minds these splendid promises that God has given to us through Jesus Christ. He's promised the end of all suffering. He's promised the end of sin the end of uh, lives of broken hearts and blindness and weakness and grief and remorse, all of these things that, that, that plague us in this life, at some point those things are going to be called the former things. They're gone. And at that time, the sum of our existence will be this inexpressible and immeasurable enjoyment of God where we worship Him and enjoy Him with hearts that that have nothing but gladness and fullness and satisfaction and joy. Those are the things that God has promised. That is the life that awaits. We rejoice in that hope. Those things are coming. We rejoice because we have heard the news and we believe the news That we are not sinners in God's eyes anymore, even though every day we still stumble around very clumsily in sin. We're forgiven of these things and we are attaining to righteousness through Jesus Christ. We've heard and we have believed the irrevocable promise that we are justified when we appear before God, we see Him face to face. His face will not be a face of disappointment. His face will be one of love. We have peace with God and that is our future. We are no longer enemies of God, but we are His friends, His children. Objects of His divine love and compassion. That's who you are. You are the recipients of divine love. Love, divine affection. And we rejoice because of that. Now, I want to ask all of us whether, whether this would accurately describe the state or activity of our hearts from day to day. Through Christ... We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So, I think every day we, we are, in, in, to some degree, we are conscious of this and we, we think about that. Yes, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, we are, we are the church, we are the people that the, who are recipients of God's favor. But often, we sort of stop there. But Paul continues just in that, in that one verse, right? We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is who we are. And we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Are we rejoicing? Do we wake up in the morning rejoicing? Rejoicing with with a transcendent and weighty glorious joy every day, knowing that we have peace with God. Does that accurately describe our our hearts every day? And if it doesn't, if if our hearts are more even keeled and maybe even subdued and neutral. Why? I recall how one theologian described the reality of the Christian life, the Christian experience. He described sort of two pitfalls that that are on either side of of what ought to be the very healthy and Christian holy life. On the one side, there is this pitfall of, of maybe having some form of joy Maybe a, a, a superficial contentedness, but without having a full understanding of the gospel. So maybe people who, who, who don't have an understanding of, of the nature of our sin and, and the awful nature of our sin and the holiness and justice of God, and because of that, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, the magnificence of the cross is just not, not there. Instead, there's just sort of, you know, sort of in love with your idea of God, but not really having the joy and contentedness firmly rooted in the actuality of, of the gospel. All right, so that's not a relationship with God. This is a relationship with, with an invention of God, a, a man-made sort of God. So, that's, one, you know, one pitfall on, on one side, very superficial and empty... Um, joy or happiness, happy feelings, contentment that has no foundation at all. And on the other side is this sort of formal rigidity of of rules, of tradition, keeping in step with church community standards, but with no, no joy and no love. And this theologian I'll quote here, he says, between these two extremes you find various types of moral and spiritual nondescripts. Disciples of sorts, but not very zealous in devotion, nor very conscientious in obedience. Mediocrities, in fact, who could not in any way be described as modeling holiness, only as muddling along with the Lord. I expect that description covers most of us. I shall not stop to diagnose the lack of seriousness that appears here other than to say, I suspect that it springs from the folly of not viewing this life as preparation for heaven. I wonder if that description would describe many of us. Day-to-day muddling along with the Lord. That last line there of that quote is, quite telling. I suspect that this lack of seriousness, I suspect that it springs from the folly of not viewing this life as preparation for heaven. A failure to see and live the reality of the inseparable connection between this life and our eternal life, our life with God in heaven. Right? Many of us may just be doing all the things that are appropriate for Christian life. These are all very good things, things that that are appropriate for those who belong to God. We have regular devotions. We go to church, we go to catechism, we and participate in, in the activities that are happening in our church communities. But between all of those things, we just sort of go about regular life, sort of with our eyes glued to the ground. Without all of those things, our our work, our relationships, and, and even all the smallest things, we don't have those things saturated with heavenly Transcendent joy. That would probably describe a great many Christians, but this is not what the Apostle Paul is describing. If you have been given peace with God through Jesus Christ, then the activity of your heart isn't just muddling along with the Lord. No, the activity of your heart is A daily rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. If you have peace with God and you truly know that peace and what it means, then you are done muddling along with the things of this life and you actually do have your heart daily set on the glory that is coming. There is an unbreakable connection between this life and all of the things in it and the glory that awaits. And all of the things of this life then are are treated not as just sort of minutia, meaningless, empty things. No. Even the smallest things uh, in this life are then as treated as things that have weighty and glorious eternal significance. And they do. The things that you do in the coming week, then are done with rejoicing because they mean something. You understand that they are attached to your eternal life with God and they contribute to it. Do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand and, and come to grips with the fact that, that God, according to His fatherly care, His, His providence for you, He sees to it that every minute of your lives is somehow tailored to contribute to your eternal glory. These are foundational principles rooted in the Scriptures. Whatever you encounter in this life, whatever path God has prepared for you to walk on, on any given day, We ought to meet those things that God has prepared with the trust and with the confidence that God has designed those things to be for our eternal good. Whatever you encounter tomorrow brings about something in eternity. God has tailored your life to shape you in a certain way, to to refine you, little by little, minute by minute, preparing you for the glory that He has in store for you. This is how we have to view the significance of, of absolutely everything that God has placed in our lives, small things, major things, all things have those eternal reverberations. And so the joy that God has promised, it doesn't just hang out out there in the future like we're waiting for it. No, that eternal heavenly joy and glory is brought to bear immediately on us today. The joy of eternal life produces joy in this life. We see that especially in the next verse. This is where it comes home. Verse 3, not only that, so this is not only theoretical, this is not just for the future. No, this, we experience this now. Chapter 5, verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And it continues, but we'll, we'll stop there for a minute. We rejoice in our sufferings. I mean, that defies good sense, doesn't it? That is not common sense there. Why would anybody react to suffering with joy? You get diagnosed with an illness, like a terminal illness. You have months to live, and you know that the months that you have left are going to be hard. They're going to be painful and awful for the rest of your life. And your reaction is, yes, this is wonderful. I'm so happy about this. Come on. Something happens in your family, you know, a relational hardship where a relationship with somebody that you love Dearly, you know, a son or a daughter or a spouse, with that brokenness of relationship causes you to weep every day over this person. You are heartbroken over the way that your relationship is, is destroyed. How can you possibly rejoice in something like that? But here it is. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We have the explanation in the rest of that verse or in the next couple of verses. We rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We're back to hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering produces endurance. How does that work? Your heavenly Father, whom you trust and love, guides you into a time of affliction or suffering. And it can be excruciating. And God, in His love and in His care for you, because you are His his child for whom Christ died, right, if, if while you were a, a sinner and His enemy, then God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness, if He was willing to do that for you while technically, legally you were His enemy, well now, how much more can you be confident that He is going to care for you at all times and bring you into that glory that was promised? So God gives you this this affliction and He and His love and His care carries you through that and, and in doing so, He proves His love and His wisdom and His power that He can uphold you and carry you through and strengthen your heart. Through that, you are strengthened for the next one, right? By the time the next one comes around, God has increased your confidence, your faith in Him. That is endurance. That is how suffering produces endurance. That endurance then produces character, right? More and more of this. Every time God does this for you, removes a little more of your tendency to rely on yourself, and He supplies you with the ability and what you need to, to, to rely on Him, right? More and more of this, God turns you into the kind of person who has absolute trust and confidence in Him at all times, knowing that your Father is giving all of these things to you for your eternal good. Through all of these things, you are becoming one who meets suffering by walking with God and relying on Him, and that is your character. Character produces hope, not muddling along face down, but striding through life with God, with eyes ahead, forward, eager and joyful for the glory that all of this is producing. God is teaching us and training us through our sufferings for the sake of our hope in God. God is giving us sufferings for the sake of our eternal life. We sang a little while ago from Hymn 35. That's a a paraphrase of, of something that Paul writes later on in Romans. It comes from Romans chapter 8. And we're told, we're assured exactly that. Romans 8, verse 18, for I can suffer, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then later in that chapter, verse 28, and we know, we know, we don't just think, we don't suspect this, we know wholeheartedly that for those who love God, all things, all things. Work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He also writes in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us. In other translations, it says it it is accomplishing for us, right? So that that light momentary affliction, and, and when He says light momentary affliction, we don't just mean like a paper cut. No, He's even the heaviest things that come upon us in this life. The heaviest burdens that we could bear in this life, here Paul calls them light momentary afflictions. These things are accomplishing for us. They are actually bringing about an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. All right, So we're full circle back to our hope. That's what this is for. Suffering is especially mentioned here in our text, right? We rejoice especially in our sufferings because it's especially through our suffering that we are reminded and assured of the glory that is coming. We know that through our suffering, God is purging out of our lives the things that don't belong there, the things that are empty and worthless, they're being removed from our lives. Those are things that would hinder us from rejoicing in hope. If you're ever walking along with someone who who is is terminal, it's it's pretty incredible how in the last months and weeks of their lives, they've got no time for, you know, chit chat about the weather and the lawn and the the meaningless daily things no those things have been have been purged from life and they have been made to grow closer and closer in heart and mind with their loving god and father with their savior jesus christ that's what suffering does And as you suffer, you can have confidence because you know that since you have peace with God, you can know that God is treating you in a very special way. He's treating you as a loving Heavenly Father and He's doing something wonderful for you through that very painful trial. And that hope that we have the things that we have our our minds and our hearts fixed on, that hope will not disappoint. Verse 5, that hope does not put us to shame. We hope for a life and the glory of God, and we are assured that we will not be let down. Why are we sure of this? Why are we confident that the things that God has promised, like, we will see them? That hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit that these things are true. God doesn't give His Holy Spirit to one he doesn't love. You have that testimony of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That is a pledge, it's a deposit of the good things that are still coming. God lives in you today. God lives in you now. He is close with you each day of your life. He's along with you in every circumstance. What a pledge of God's love that His Holy Spirit lives in you. He would not... Take up His residence in your heart apart from His great love for you. So, we ought to pray then that God would at all times turn our hearts to the glory that is coming, that our hearts would be in tune with His plans for the world, His plans for us his plans for his glory, that he would help us to fix our eyes on on the eternal blessings that we have already begun to enjoy, but may we enjoy them fully. May we enjoy them in a state and in an act of daily rejoicing. May our hearts be hearts that rejoice constantly in the hope of the glory of God. Amen.